0: What's the password? Hmm. Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button.
1: Hello and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Come on in and grab a chair by the ever-burning hearth. Today's bartender is Marcus. Go up and get an age-appropriate beverage while today we talk about... Our favorite things, tabletop role-playing games. I am one of your hosts, Cody, joined by my buddy, Lance. Lance here and I are both, as the title might imply, game masters, specifically of tabletop role-playing games. Whether you are an expert or whether you are new, come on in and get comfy while we talk about... Well, we have an email to answer today about uh, character death. But first, Lance, how are you today? I'm doing it's, pretty well. How much yourself? I am doing pretty... Well, I got a little bit of a headache, but other than that, I'm doing fantastic, because here we are, and I couldn't be more excited to be recording again, because it's always a lot of fun to share our experiences with you guys, the listeners, or even if no one listens, we have fun sitting here on this couch. <laughs> and we're drinking, so. Yeah, yeah that, that doesn't hurt. Uh, we're drinking age-appropriate beverages because we are both of legal drinking age. Way um, legal drinking age. Let's be, <laughs> before we get started on the main topic, let's talk about some news, right, what do you or got? at least some uh, news that are things that are new to us. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is we 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 talked about it in previous episodes, and then we had to uh, can you know consider the fact that it was delayed. But Paizo's Book of the Dead for Pathfinder 2 is now released, which means you can play a skeleton man. And I am sure that you have a copy of it. Uh, I actually do not have my physical copy picked up yet, but yes, I I have one spoken for. Have you had any time to go through it? Uh, I have looked at a lot of the character rules for it. Mm-hmm. So in addition to the skeleton man ancestry, or skeleton person, uh, there are also heritages, kind of like how Tiefling and Atsamar like any person can be... Or not Dragonborn, Dragonborn's 5th edition, you know what I mean. Any ancestry can be a tiefling, mm-hmm. like anybody can be a uh, ghoul or something like that. So is the
0: skeleton technically a... The skeleton's
1: a full-on ancestry. Okay. but So you could technically make, I guess, like a skeleton ghoul. Because <laughs> because ghoul is a, a heritage. I am but confused. But... In, adi- in addition to that, there's more, of course, spells and magic items and, of course, monsters. A lot of undead monsters. Mm-hmm. Options for being... Um... Oh, they kind of have like a... You can play an undead pet class. Okay. Is one of the things that I really like. Like how a ranger... Well, primarily a ranger mm-hmm. uh, can pick... The you know have an animal companion, so you have a minion where you, you spend an action to give your minion two actions. You can basically have an undead minion. So rather than being like oh, I, it's a it's a it's an archetype that focuses on having like one potent undead minion, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of neat. So like so if you wanted they, to be a a vampire man with an undead butler, uh, you could totally do that. <laughs> Did
0: they do any uh? Did they do any new uh, summons for the summoner class, like an undead? Uh... Oh, I think there there was. I want a grim reaper. I there, want a grim I reaper. I think there. As a I, I I don't
1: remember off the top of my head, but I believe there was another um arc, another thing for the summoner class. Another uh, eidolon. eidolon. Yeah. yeah, that's the word. Another eidolon. Um, but while we're keeping on the th- this topic with Paizo releasing things, uh, I I am going to mention something, and then I want your opinions first paizo the people who are essentially the number one competitor to wizards of the coast That's fair. and when i say competitor um i don't mean like they are head to head because mm-hmm. wizards of the coast is a giant right and they're huge they're huge and then number two is paizo mm-hmm. but it's kind of like how you know uh, trying to compete with Kleenex. Kleenex is the biggest person in no, Tissue, I mean, right? That, that, and then, so they have, like, the number two competitor, but they might be a lot smaller. Yeah. But that means Paizo is doing number two, which means you would think they're doing okay. I don't know what their quarterly reports look like. However, they have announced that, most like most companies, they're going to port some of their content... To fifth edition compatibility, you know, I've also uh, S- specifically the, one of their more famous campaigns, Abomination Vaults, I've is, heard about that, is going to be released for fifth edition. How does that make you feel as someone who enjoys Pathfinder and the unique content as a comp a competitor that they put out?
0: I mean, I guess what I would say is that I don't care. That's probably I mean you know, people that play five E, if they want to do, you know, this particular adventure, if they want some of the stuff from uh, you know, Pizo from Pathfinder converted over, that's great. I think we have kind of picked a system. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, if somebody if somebody invited me to play in a in a fifth edition campaign, I wouldn't turn them down. I like fifth edition, I have no problem with it. But as far as our primary game, we've we've chosen a winner. You know, we we've picked Pathfinder over fifth edition at this point. Right. And that's what we're running with. So I mean anything that they do it's it, it, at this point, it's, it's just revenue generation. I mean, if they can make more money and it keeps them going or growing, so that they can continue to make us more Pathfinder books, right? I consider that a win. I know that they just recently did a Pathfinder port to Savage Worlds, actually.
1: Yes, and But, like I, I kind of view that as like you know two smaller factions, yeah. banding together. So right? what
0: you're what you're worried about is is them helping to feed the beast that is bigger than they are. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I mean, are
1: they? Is this is is this a? This is obviously them. Um, trying it, right? They're, they haven't, they've only announced one product. Mm-hmm. And if it makes them a shitload of, or a ton of money, then they're going to, <laughs> they're going to keep doing it. Right? Yeah, no, that's fair. Um
0: I mean, I guess it depends. I don't know what the level of hostility is in the, like, table game production industry. Like... Because, you know, in some industries, I mean, you see this a lot to, 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 to kind of keep on topic with with what we talk about here. In the beer industry, oh, yeah, yeah. micro breweries, you know, craft breweries, they don't tend to hate their competitors. They actually tend to enjoy their competitors. Right. Like people that produce beer just love beer and there's apparently a big enough market for everybody to, to get a piece of the pie. Without having to hate on your competition for the most part, so I don't know if that if that's the way that the tabletop industry works, where you know Wizards of the Coast understands that that Paizo is a competitor, but they don't actively hate them, then I don't think that that porting their stuff over to Fifth Edition is necessarily bad for them. On the other hand, if Wizards of the Coast has some hidden agenda to destroy Paizo because they don't like the competition, well, now you're feeding the monster that's going to eat you. Yeah, you know. So I mean, it really depends on the level of hostility in the industry, and honestly, that's just something I'm not familiar with.
1: It's, it's kind of interesting because this is how Paizo started, right? Like, they, they originally were publishing Dungeons & Dragons uh-huh. content, the, and that's what they're known for. Um, compared to Wizards, Paizo is known for their really well-put-together uh, campaigns,
0: I, I think. Mean, I'm going to assume that Paizo realizes that by porting a few things over to 5th edition they're not really going to hamstring themselves too much financially. I think they know that the people that prefer, prefer Pathfinder to 5th edition aren't going to go back to 5th edition because Abomination bolts found its way there.
1: Oh yeah. They, they don't have to worry for, what, another two years before the next version yeah. of D&D comes out? And that, and, and that,
0: I think that happens in the gaming industry a lot, as people tend to cycle, oh, there's a new, new version of this game out, well let's go try that for a few months and see if we still like it. And the next thing you know, Pathfinder 3 comes out and we jump from 6th edition D&D to Pathfinder yeah. 3 and all, you know, that's how they keep us buying books, Cody. That's yeah. how they keep us buying books. Yeah,
1: and that's the, the, sometimes I worry about the stress that my bookshelf is under, <laughs> Just like physically. I, well, hey, I'm, I'm
0: not too bad with woodwork. If you'd like me to come reinforce your bookshelf <laughs> to hold up all those books, I could probably add some stuff to it.
1: I suppose, just thinking about it now, that the best case scenario is that if people play this content... Uh, and, like, 5th edition players. Mm -hmm. Then they're like, oh, this came from Pathfinder. Well, now let's check that out. Let's go check that out. Maybe.
0: And maybe maybe that's what maybe that's what Paizo's banking on.
1: Yeah. I know that uh, one of my coworkers was just talking about checking it out because I described to him how you know in in 5e it, it in both of these games it is more difficult to make an absolutely broken character mm-hmm. compared to Pathfinder 1 and D&D 3.5 yeah. you can still do it in 5e there are certain there are a few combinations that get ridiculous usually from multi-classing. Uh, but in pathfinder what you really benefit from is teamwork mm-hmm. you know rather than uh, making the entire character a munchkin, you munchkin the team to great yeah, effect, you, which you, is great, because then you're playing together mm-hmm. in your cooperative narrative experience. I'm still is...
0: not 100% sure our, our crew has mastered that
1: yet. No, no, I think there's still, there's I think a part of it is communication. Yeah. Like I've been trying to subtly encourage you guys to actually talk more, yeah. either in character or out of character, be like, hey, what are you intending to do on your turn? Because isn't it kind of a pain when you're the wizard and you want a fireball and then someone moves into your blast zone? But if you had just said, hey, I'm going to target that area with a fireball, then then they might not do that.
0: They we'll go find a different... Communicate enemy, like, with um, your teammates,
1: yeah. gosh dang it.
0: Well, but you know, I mean, our, our group back when we were playing 5th edition with a lot of these same characters was the same way. I mean, we, we have a lot of people in our group that don't play this game for the tactics. Of oh, no. It. And, yeah, and so when it comes to... Hey, teamwork is an important tactic for combat. Everybody's. Like, I'm just going to role play my character in combat too. Yep. Even if my character would do something incredibly stupid.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. Uh, what else? Oh, D and D Live happened a little while ago, and my big takeaway is that they have announced officially that they're releasing um, Spelljammer as like a, I think it's a campaign or campaign and setting uh, combo.
0: Yeah, so that's one of their settings, isn't it? We talked yes. about their settings an episode So it's,
1: whereas, whereas Starfinder is like a science fiction version of Pathfinder, mm-hmm. Spelljammer is just D&D in space. <laughs> it's fantasy. d yeah, in
0: space!
1: It precisely. It's, it's very much still fantasy, but with um, like that's, that's where you've got the mind flayers and their giant nautiloid ships through g- going through the, okay, that sounds cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, <laughs> this is where you find that stuff because, uh, spell jammers, I think I, I'm not well versed on it. Never played in it. Uh, I've done a little bit of reading, but I believe uh spell jammer is the term for the ships or, or the people that pilot the ships, one okay. of the two. And. The helm of a spell jamming ship is just like a magical console, and you need a wizard to be like in tune with it to move the vessel. Space uh, magic. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I have re- it's very ridiculous. This is where you get things like giant space hamsters. I think are a canon thing inside Spelljammer. Let's talk about uh, what have you done recently that has anything to. Well, what are your tabletop experiences, whether they be prep related or live game related. Um,
0: Well, um, we've hinted at it in a few other episodes and we're we're still working on it. I'm not quite ready for name reveals yet, but uh, we have, uh, Cody and I and a couple friends of ours have been working on uh, our own tabletop RPG. Self-promotion. A little bit of self-promotion here. Um, It is a a Norse fantasy based tabletop game, basically. Yeah. So what what i've been doing lately is i've actually been doing a little gming which i don't talk as much about on here because you know i used to do a lot of it now i do a little of it and um i'm currently running two concurrent play tests with two different groups um and and so that's that's kind of what we did and this this uh, particular play test they've gone pretty well um the character breakdowns and or the class breakdowns rather in, in both of our groups are the same so i guess i'm getting a lot of test data there um, we had a we had a party that, that did a little bit of uh, I guess for lack of a better term mercenary work in Time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was uh, that was the group that involved our producers as well as uh, Cody as as the players and me, uh GMing that.
1: Yeah, we killed a giant bat and then
0: some spiders yep. for two in two different places for two
1: different reasons.
0: Yeah, and we got to test out the poison rules, which was the important part for me to be honest with you um i thought they worked out pretty well and then the other group that we had um they got to go on a... can we
1: talk about the poison rules or are we yeah no we can talk about the poison rules. Yeah, I, the poison I, rules? I like the way what we've done it so far okay because the way we do the poison rules is say your poison is a 2d6 the first time it's at the end of your turn right yeah it's, so it's, it's referred turn... to as potency yeah. the potency of a poison the potency of a poison is 2d6 so then on your tu- at the end of your turn, you take 2d6 poison damage, right? Mm-hmm. But then on the next turn...
0: You take 2d4. 2d4. Yeah, what, the what, die step goes whatever down. the amount of damage that you're taking is, it drops by a die step. So Yeah, it keeps
1: the same number of dice, but the die steps yeah, keep going Yeah, let's, so, let's, say,
0: let's say you had, like, Jormungandr-level poison. You know, that might be, like, a 5d12. Yeah. And then it's going to go 5d12, 5d10, 5d8, 5d6. Unless five, you can get it cured. <laughs> yeah, unless you can get it cured. So, as you can see, that over time is going to get really, really nasty. And then you're, you're smaller. Like, I think the cave spiders that you guys were fighting that were poisonous were doing, what, 2d6? Mm-hmm yeah so they only had a two two turn run on them basically they could be refreshed if they bit you again stuff like that um my other group which uh consists of uh um, mostly people that we we play cody's game with um and then another friend of ours they uh they got to go to like a, a midgard uh holy site and uh drink a concoction made out of a whole bunch of gross things and have a little spiritual journey um, they got to see a lot of the uh, the creation myth actually oh yeah during that during that little adventure but it was fun and I hope to up- update you guys as the game keeps progressing my uh, my tentative goal is to have something put together uh, by 2023 that we can maybe maybe get a Kickstarter
1: which would be awesome that would be super awesome uh, what did I do oh I before that session I finished the bones of the cooking rules mm. and then which you know, I still have to flesh out all the herbs and ingredients lists, but more or less it works. Yeah, we, we have the system in place. Now we just have to add all the components. Yep. Eventually we want to have... Uh, my goal is to like flesh out crafting rules, settlement building, mm-hmm. um, trade mechanics, things like that. Uh, what else did I do? Uh, I no longer have uh, a girlfriend. I have a fiancé. Yeah, congratulations on that, buddy. Yeah, and uh, this is relevant because this person supports me in my nerdy hobbies. And she, this is how I'm linking it to Tabletop. No, she, she does. She, <laughs> she, she's pretty great, and she
0: plays with us. So. Yep,
1: she, she is one of my players in my main game now. Uh, loves Call of Cthulhu. What else? I Oh, so Tabletop related, I have been, in the last week and a half, finally tackling a miniature painting technique which uh, if any of you have ever done so you may have heard of this it's usually called nmm N- M- or non-metallic metal and I, w- I got a picture here for you maybe we'll put a link to it or put it on put it up on youtube or put a link to it in the description below but this is my first attempt the trim on the shoulder pads of yes. this trooper does that look like metal it does look like metal. this that's is black good. and white paint wow. so uh that's i'm pretty proud it's a very basic attempt a non-metallic metal but I feel like it actually does the job so that's what I did I'm uh, impressed and also too lazy to emulate that Mm, I I just
0: buy my metallic paints and (laughs) but I mean to be honest with you like because I try to make sure that most of my games run on mostly minis rather than tokens I either have a whole bunch of completely unpainted minis, or the minis that I'm painting are...
1: Base-coated and washed.
0: Yeah, base-coated and washed. I, I do not have the kind of time to detail paint all those. Now, when I'm, I'm doing my individual characters, I get a little more detail
1: with it. But. Oh, yeah. Uh, that concludes uh, any more news, unless you have something, which I know you don't. No, <laughs> no he's, he knows that he's right. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the beer that Marcus is serving us today. This is a um, a beer called
0: Zombie Awakening. It is a black ale with coffee, and it is made by Lion Bridge Brewing. Um, it's delicious. It is fantastic. Me, yeah. and, me and the wife were out doing some shopping because my kid grows so fast that all of his pants just suddenly turned into high waters overnight.
1: <laughs> so we, we stopped. <laughs> he's at like a uh, he's like a living human rhubarb. Yeah, just
0: it just just keeps growing. So we ended up stopping at uh, Happy's. Oh yeah yeah. It's a it's a liquor store around here. Um, they have everything, and if they don't, they can get it for you. It's fantastic. Uh, we stopped there, and uh, I found a six-pack of this and, and took it home, and I saved a couple of
1: cans for uh, for our recording. Which I thank you, because it is fantastic. All right, so as we drink this zombie awakening, uh, we're going to talk about a question we have. For full transparency, this question does come from a listener, but that listener is also from my main rpg group that's true i'm willing to take (laughs) any and all questions tabletop related from any listeners so it is
0: technically a question from a listener if it's a good subject worth talking about
1: i don't care where it comes from and i do think this is a legitimately good subject to talk about and i'm going to set this up by saying i think you probably have more experience with this than i do (laughs) and so here's the question uh verbatim hello my name is Diraj, and I was curious how you two handle the deaths of lovable NPCs, and of course, player characters. Also, does it bring you any joy when the BBEG, Big Bad Evil Guy, kills a character? So let's start with the let's start with the first half of that. Okay. And unpack how you handle the deaths of lovable NPCs. Um lovable NPCs. You
0: know, I don't handle the deaths of lovable NPCs. What I mean by that is that whatever reaction to it is is going to be the role playing of my players. <laughs> you know, if, if they choose not to get into like the heavy emotional baggage of dealing with the death of a entirely fictional character, I understand that. Now, when they do, I absolutely love it. Because what to me, to me, to see them get kind of involved in that is great because it shows that they are really role-playing and invested in their characters.
1: Right. So, I would ask you, when you've got a lovable NPC, and you as the Dungeon Master are either intending or probably well, usually you can intend to kill an NPC mm-hmm. it, unless you have the cooperation of a player. It's bad, bad manners to intend to kill a player. Here,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. That's general. You should, uh, you can
1: intend to put them in dangerous situations, <laughs> yeah. but you shouldn't intend their death. But NPCs, the more uh, most of the time, and I feel like this is true for most game masters, the more beloved an NPC is, the bigger the target painted on their back for the dungeon master or game Especial- master.
0: Right? Especially if you really want to get like a good emotional reaction out of your players. Right. I mean, if, if, it's, if it's an NPC they don't like or care about, they're not going to care if that NPC dies.
1: Yeah. If uh, so, you know you might have tried to create an interesting NPC and the party didn't take to it, but they took to Boblin, to Boblin the Goblin, like flies to fecal <laughs> matter. You and that's that's the character you want to tear away from the party to cause them distress, feelings of revenge, inspire them to action. But my question to you is, how often, if you can remember, thinking back to probably especially Shadowrun and Deadlands, um, how often do you do this off screen versus right in front of the character's eyes? I mean, I think, I think that depends on the, uh, the,
0: the, the one, the story, like Shadowrun is a good example since, you know, we're talking about my, my gaming history. I think that it is great to have like a Shadowrun campaign where your characters are going to visit a beloved NPC and they find the corpse of said beloved NPC. Oh yeah. Like, because Shadowrun is a game about conspiracies and mysteries and corporate espionage and things like that. So sometimes in a situation like that, especially in a game like that, you don't Necessarily, I mean, unless unless you're you're trying to show off the strength of a bad NPC by you know taking out a beloved uh, other NPC in front of them. But I mean, if you're trying to trying to make it as a plot hook, especially, then kill them off screen, but let the players find your handiwork, leaving a clues lying around, so that they have, especially if it's a beloved NPC, somebody they're going to seek revenge for. You know, to have them be able to investigate the scene and figure out where they want and to kind of deal with the emotional baggage there. Because in a game like Shadowrun, where you're talking about mercenaries, you're going to get a wide variety of responses out of the characters. You know, some of them are going to be upset about it because this is a business associate that they no longer yeah. have access to, and then some of them are going to get you know make it really personal, and then some of them are going to going to come along the lines of, well, if they can do it to him, why can't with stopping them from doing it to me? And then oh, yeah. and then it becomes a self driven motivation of. You know, if we don't show these people that you don't get to screw with
1: us and our friends, they're going to walk all over us. My advice, thats all, all of that is fantastic. Uh, my advice to add to what everything you just said is to consider how certain mechanics work. Um, and there are games that have advice on this very topic. For example, um, let's take the assassination rules from... Uh, what is it, Kevin Crawford? Stars Without Number. Stars Without Number has a rule in it where you can assassinate a character, right? Mm-hmm. Where you spend a minute lining up your target and then you just make a skill check. And if you succeed... Mm-hmm. They die. They, Yeah, they, make, they have to... They basically die. The character makes their check and then the target, I think, does make a con save or mm-hmm. something. And if they fail, they just die. And there's nothing in the rules to say that that can't happen... To the player characters. Yeah. So if you've got a mechanic that can instant kill or instantly cripple a player character somehow, you can demonstrate that on screen with with a, with with a beloved NPC, NPC <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> and then it comes back to my, well, if they can do this to him, they can exactly. do it to so I me. Mean, exactly. That's what made, that's made me think of that. Like, from what a what rules
1: perspective, if they can... It's kind of like how in... Um, You've got all these teachable moments. It's trying to demonstrate. It's a show don't tell philosophy, like how uh, how video games teach you mechanics, mm-hmm. right? Like oh, at the start of Mega Man, you can't go left, so you're gonna go right. That's yep. gonna be or you,
0: and that's the theme the rest of the game. You're yeah, like, they, okay, I, I always have to go right.
1: He's introducing your players to mechanics is more fun than saying than just telling them, hey you can get assassinated. You can show them that they can get assassinated. Mm. And then it, it puts the drama on, puts the tension in their veins. Um, another piece of advice I will say, though, is that to temper... Well, it depends on the setting and the game and all that, but how you've got these beloved NPCs. If the beloved NPC is a, this is from Call of Cthulhu uh, directly because Call of Cthulhu has the key backstory connection. Yeah. If you're looking at a beloved NPC and they are obviously the number one thing in a player character's backstory, don't do it off screen because then it feels a little cheap, right Mm -hmm. now. So uh, to take Lance's advice, um, say, for instance, your one of your players has um, a sister, and this sister is their character's most important backstory piece. She is super important. Uh, maybe it's an older sister who took care of this character after their parents went missing or something. Do not kill this sister off screen. Maybe the sister has a friend. Kill that character off screen. You know the kill kill the sister's significant other off screen, when but don't kill the key. When NPC the when the
0: evil cult kidnaps the sister, maybe yeah. have, maybe have them kill somebody else that you know as a right. part of the collateral damage. Be it the sister's husband or kidnapping
1: is fine because the NPC is still recoverable, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Action can be taken by the players to rescue her. But if she if they just show up and she's dead, it feels kind of like oh I didn't even have a chance Cooking to save her it. because then then you've taken away the possibility that the players can do dramatic actions on the NPC's behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, yeah, feel free to kill any NPC off screen unless it's like the most important one. Yeah. And I mean, do, do the thing, because you know your players. You know what those
0: characters... We hope you know your players. Well, we hope so. <laughs> and you should know, at least by the time that you're trying to get these kind of dramatic reactions out of them, what their characters are into. Yeah. Like our friend Moose. You want to get him teed off? Kill an animal. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's all like, it takes. Like any and, pets any or any... I mean, he, we had a whole issue with a pet hydrag that he had. Yeah. That, that thing uh, hadn't even hatched yet. And let me see. There was, uh, there was his uh, ranger it's... that had the dog and that thing got eaten by, what, that giant pile of bloody something or other. In, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That was in uh, that was in Jared's campaign.
1: Uh, there is the whole... There's the whole thing about... Sure, that's what the player doesn't like, not that what the character mm-hmm. doesn't like, but when people make player characters, they usually put themselves somehow there's, into the character
0: somehow. Usually some facet of their personality exists within the character.
1: Right. Uh, like one of our one of our regular players, if I wanted to unnerve uh our one of my players name is Dan, I would just use creepy dolls or centipedes yeah, regardless he, of what character. Dude he's hates playing. centipedes. He uh, just hates them. <laughs> yeah, he just hates him, and you know some people. Some people might take issue with that. Oh, you're, that's not the character's dislikes; that's the player's dislikes. But it'll still work. Yeah, it'll still set the mood. Um, and and here's here's an important thing: is you're gonna play
0: games with a wide variety of people, and it is always important that you know your uh, you know your table. You know, it, it helps to know your audience. Because w- when when Cody says I can introduce centipedes to screw with Dan's head, he also knows that Dan's okay with that.
1: Yeah, that's like, true. It's,
0: it, he's not tapping into some like no. deep-seated psychological issue that's yeah, going to cause him some... It's,
1: Dan's not reaching for the X card. No, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's something that he is comfortable playing with, but it's not so uncomfortable that, that he doesn't want to play. Yeah. It's uh, game mastering, like many other things in life, is uh, walking on a, a beam. Yeah, you're, you like, you got to balance your way across you it. you know who you're playing with. So we've talked about uh, beloved NPCs. Let's talk about player character death. First, uh, well, we could we could break it up if we wanted to, or just throw it all in one pot and make a stew. But I kind of think about talking about planned player character mm-hmm. death because that's a dramatic way uh, to get rid of a player character. Uh, someone says, "I want to play a new character. I don't want to retire him. Mm-hmm. Make him die." I've had you know I've had yeah, that happen mm-hmm. before, where they just want it. they want a dramatic way to have their character go out guns blazing. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you have seen. Some of these things happen in Deadlands. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, this was this was a campaign before I decided
0: to reset the entire universe. But I let Dan kill Darius Hellstrom in Deadlands.
1: Uh, oh oh really yeah, um, industries
0: yeah he one of the one of the big bads in that that campaign one of the ones that the uh, the creators are like, yeah this guy can't be killed right well I changed it. I decided to, to make that entertainment
1: thing. said hey this NPC is yeah he's unkillable he's effectively immortal
0: and I decided that wasn't the thing because but, you as the game master have control of your game Well and here was the thing anybody that's familiar with the Deadlands universe understands that the events of the weird West are in part responsible for the events of hell on earth It's sister game that takes place 200 years before. Yep. Dan's character was from the future.
1: Oh, I don't know if I ever heard he was, about That this was character. when he was playing Scorp. And oh, yeah, his character
0: really? was from hell on earth oh. and had had managed to stumble into the hunting grounds and pop out in the Weird West. That's cool. So he basically knew how Hellstrom is going to affect the timeline. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, well, the game's been out for a real long. It has been out and for quite a. While. They may have even changed the canon by now with all the stuff they put in Deadlands yeah, Reloaded. The for the all I know, worlds version um, but so he comes back and his he's he's basically he's uh, he's basically you know like that guy from the future trying to prevent the past.
1: <laughs> he's, he's like the Terminator. Yeah, guy. he's so he he, comes, so super he fun.
0: comes back and fits in there and he I mean he from the beginning of that campaign was like I have to figure out how to kill Darius Hellstrom. And so I let him and then like all good heroes that do something that uh, really it, awesome. Uh, like Tony Starked him. Well, yeah, he ended up, uh, he ended up dying at the hands of stone after that was uh, all over okay. with, but
1: he died happy. He yeah. knew that he, you know, he, he had accomplished his, accomplished his goal. His character arc was complete. Yeah. His character
0: arc was a hundred percent complete.
1: I would okay. They're, they're, that's probably a good, uh, now that I've said it aloud and had the epiphany as I said it, it's. Very satisfying for a character to die if their arc is complete. Yeah, yeah. If uh, if if you can help it, their character's arc should reach a satisfying conclusion before you start to intend character death mm-hmm. at the um, at the hands of the well, not the hands, but the players. Oh, uh, o- if they're okay with it, right? Mm. You know, so. It's important because you'll hear about groups online where the players want to play in a game where, oh, we want to play in a dangerous world where our characters can die, but then their characters die and they get upset. Mm-hmm. You, re- you read stories like that all the time. Well, i see, and I-, I think character death is a general. Uh...
0: A, a general subject is very, very complex. It is. Because, because it depends on the setting that you're playing. Like Deadlands, for example, has a uh, has a kind of dead stop, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like at least in Deadlands Classic, if you achieved five points of grit and did something that pissed off the Reckoners... Yeah. They were going to send Stone after you, and the best thing that you could do with Stone was get away a couple of times before he finally finally put a bullet in. Yeah, I mean, that was it. So there was that is a game that has a hard stop. Now, the hope is, as a GM, that you have done your job in telling a story sufficient to propel that player to the point that they understand that their end is coming and that they've accepted it because they've done enough damage to the Reckoners' plans... That you know, I mean, to me, as as a GM watching the players, earning death by stone was always a badge of honor. Oh uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. because I mean, you
0: did you survived you all sorts did of Did a lot of crazy stuff to get there, you know. As as a hero in a game where you're supposed to be playing a hero, you know, you've done enough damage that the the literal cosmic big bad evil guy quartet <laughs> that is that is responsible for all of the bad in the Deadlands universe, like they have personally put a hit out on you. Oh, yeah. You have accomplished enough to get their direct attention. <laughs> and that now, because of that, you are going to have to fight, you know, their, their completely overpowered, you know, wildly curated assassin to the death. And you're going to lose, but you're going to go out like a badass. You know, and then like you said, that there, there's going to be campaigns or game types specifically that are designed to be incredibly lethal. And if you get into that setting and you get into that game, you have to know that you know there's going to be a character churn in this game. That's that's going to be how it goes. But then you have games where you're playing like a more heroic component. And when when I'm playing it, when I'm you know GMing more of a more of a like big high fantasy hero type campaign, you know don't tell my players this even if they're listening. But um, I generally do not kill them off unless they do something either incredibly stupid or incredibly dramatic
1: yeah you give them you give them multiple chances yeah
0: like it's it's i'm gonna give you the opportunity to not get yourself killed
1: but if you keep me like you keep playing uh stupid games you win stupid prizes but but i
0: mean like i'm the kind of gm that i'm like well you know what if i gotta fudge a dice roll to keep these guys alive because the dice were just working against them i don't want to i don't want to kill a hero on like a just random roll you know and, what I mean? Yeah. Because that's can... just that's not dramatic and it's not fun. But if you are playing a gritty game where death is lurking around every corner, then you don't let a bad roll kill him. Like, yeah. let it happen. Because the, the game like Call of Cthulhu, you have to have that fear in order to enjoy the game. And if you know that your GM's kind of fudging dice to keep your whole party it alive... It removes the tension. It removes right? the tension. And without the tension, a game like that doesn't have a lot of going for it. So, <laughs>
1: uh, I... I, and you know me I, I i try not to pull punches I'm, I'm no longer fudging dice in pathfinder uh only by virtue oh only by virtue has dan's character succeeded in, <laughs> in staying alive in call of cthulhu the, yeah. di, the dice fell in his favor but barely <laughs> yeah <laughs> barely. Uh, let's talk about accidental character death okay like um i've had a character die in mid-combat i i will say that most of the time, in my personal experience, you just need to give players a little bit of space and time. It doesn't matter if they know that character death is a possibility. It doesn't matter that they have welcomed welcomed it. When it happens, it can kind of be an emotional slap to the face. Mm-hmm. Even if you're one of the people that are like, I'm totally cool with my character dying, uh, sometimes it happens and you discover that you might part of you might have been wrong, uh, but it's kind of like a sense of loss right Mm -hmm. you have to deal with a very dumbed down turned down to level one four stages of grief i think is is, is, is what it can be because there's first there's like oh gosh this really happened yeah uh and eventually you know i've i've seen moose go through the stages of grief after a character death in the span of five minutes you know, he goes through. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you can you can tell that he's a little upset that it happened. Uh, he, he goes away. Uh, Which he, is
0: funny because he's the most flighty person in our group when it comes to characters. Well, that's like, the thing. The just, dude,
1: that dude crank, he'd crank out a new character every week if you let him almost. That's, that's, he comes back five minutes later and he's already excited about a new character. Yeah. Some of your players are the type of people who like to make new characters. And so, it's very much a when one door closes, another one opens Mm -hmm. kind of situation. It is a little bit more problematic when you've got, uh, there's other people. Not all of your players are always stoked to make new characters, because whereas I and others always have five more ideas on deck, Mm -hmm. some people don't do that. Some people actually have, this is the character I'm playing, this is the one that I want to keep playing, and Uh, They would be upset if that character died, and I will tell you right now, especially if you're playing uh, the world's most famous and popular role-playing game, it's okay to cherry-pick which characters have the threat of death. Because some of your players are going to be okay with their characters dying, and some of the players would be very sad. Mm. And you will learn which ones are which. See, my biggest problem
0: in a scenario like that isn't 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 for a lack of ideas for replacement. It's that I get decision paralysis really bad. Oh, you're like, so oh, I've do got I, too do many I, any ideas. Do I and,
1: make the uh, do you, the devil-making summoner? Do I make the magus? Mm-hmm. Do I make yeah, the... You've got so many good and options. That's,
0: that's usually my problem, is it's like, if I have to make a new character... And you 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 probably notice this a lot when we start a new campaign or a new group. My my universal answer is always, well everybody else figure out what you're playing and I'll I'll play what fits. Yep. And the big part of the reason that I honestly do that is because it helps with the decision paralysis. Yep. If if I know that we've already got two melee guys and a healer, okay, well, obviously we need some kind of ranged you know attacker possibly magic. Okay, cool. You know, I'll make a a sorcerer or whatever because I know that those other roles have been filled. Or if there's no healer in the group, you know, that was uh, when I made Feldar. You know, I really wanted to try a Circle of of, uh, Dreams Druid, but I didn't want to do that in a campaign where we had a bunch of other healers. It wasn't necessary because Circle of Dreams Druids are so
1: damn good at healing. They are good at healing.
0: And uh, so for me, it was like, well, as long as everybody else has already got their characters figured out and I can fill a good role within the party. That helps me to narrow down, you know, which of the probably hundreds, dozens at least, possibly hundreds
1: of potential characters I've got floating around in my head. Another thing that I, I can't remember where this piece of advice came from, but if there is a player character death, let them write, in, if the situation and the setting allows it, kind of like a retroactive will, and then have like a funeral. Mm-hmm. I could, this is something that we have done before. Uh, I think you'll recall when the Lady of Lore died, yeah. there was a will and a funeral. Um, it kind of allows your player, the agency, to uh, express some last wishes, mm-hmm. especially if the character death is unplanned. And then, you know, there's settings like D&D where the resurrection is possible. You can make a quest out of it and let a, let a character, let a player play a temporary character until their yeah. character gets resurrected. Especially if it's
0: somebody that, like... Uh somebody that that tends to be floaty about their characters. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, do you want to test drive a specific class right now? Because for the next four or five sessions, the rest of the group's gonna be trying to find a way to resurrect your currently dead character. Yeah,
1: paladins on ice. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, it's
1: and I mean we, we had
0: that with Aram to a slightly lesser extent. He wasn't dead but he was kidnapped. He was so I got the I got to
1: play a, a fairly high level fighter and I really enjoyed the hell out of it. It's fight, the first fight. time I'd done it. You know? Fighter's a fun class, Tusk in was, both Tusk Pathfinder was and Five in my opinion. Alright, last part of the question though. Does it bring you any joy when the big bad evil guy kills a character? I'm going to say yes, but for a specific reason. It's not like a, ha-ha, I win kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's it's more of like, I'm achieving successful drama kind of thing.
0: Uh, yeah, I would say it depends on the, the scenario, if it is dramatic. I mean, as much as, as the player of Aram, I was upset when the, the toast happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously this was not player death, but I mean, it was akin to it in the sense you that mean, I was losing this char- character death. Of course, I hope it wasn't player death. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I, ideally not. Um... But yeah, for so for, you know to lose a character because I mean, well he wasn't dead. I did lose that character because of it. the The actual like moment of it is, is memorable to the point that we're never going to forget
1: it. No, that's so. It's honestly the most memorable yeah, point in all of our games. It is that I, definitely, that
0: definitely top three at least. Um, and and that that's the thing with a scenario like that is, you know, if if it can be used to add to the story, then as a GM, don't don't shy away from a little bit of enjoyment of it. You know, because. That's a good thing. Now, if it's if it's again, if it's just the the random roll from the big bad evil guy, that's not the same thing. I mean, if you're if if it's something that happens that way, you at least hope that it is going to be fairly dramatic.
1: Yeah, if the death of the character that the BBEG, the big bad evil guy, uh, achieves, is justified, I think is a, an important factor, uh, right? Like when your character was poisoned. Um, you guys later found out that he had used the powerful reagent, Yep. right? That he used one of his consumables. And you're like, and now suddenly all the whole party's like, oh, that makes total sense. That's why I didn't get a resistance roll for No wonder the DC for the save was so high. He used this powerful magic, Mm -hmm. you know... Oh, of course, my character died. He used a ninth level spell slot to kill me, right? Like it's he—you weren't just killed by a cantrip. There was Mm -hmm. uh, there was a give and take. There was a a balance. The 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 big bad
0: evil guy had to give up something to get your death.
1: Yeah, and and it kind of also can feel good, right, Mm -hmm. as the player when you have upset the big bad evil guy so much that they want you dead so much, right? They are they are Mm -hmm. they are gunning. (laughs) You have their attention right it's it's not you're not just some uh passing adventurer that is a fly on the wall. You are now their adversary, right? Yep. You have a villain and you are <laughs> the hero. That's because that's what makes a good hero is a good villain, I mean That's right?
0: basically the reason that Aram is in a constant state of tormenting Victor. Because... Exactly.
1: The Batman has the Joker and the party needs a big bad evil yeah. guy. Uh, whether the character that the big bad evil guy kills is an NPC or a player character, it pushes the story forward, usually, mm. right? And it's, uh, I have honestly used power word kill on a player before. Yeah, I think Dirage got that. (laughs) Yeah, he got Uh, that. And it was in a situation where the players were unknowingly to them at the time, Mm -hmm. we're going to get resurrected because it's the Forgotten Realms and, you know, death is not permanent in that setting. But it was a demonstration at the level you guys were. He, the big bad evil guy, was purposefully showing you. You guys had garnered. He, he, was, he was
0: flexing on us. He was
1: flexing on you. You guys had get gotten enough of his attention that he wanted to show you, "Hey, I'm more powerful than you. Back off, right?" Mm-hmm. And but what? How did you, as a player, feel after that encounter? I I liked it. I did. I I enjoyed. Did it make you want to beat him even more? Oh yeah, oh,
0: yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> yeah. Aaron being motivated to kill Victor has never been a hard sell. Like, I have—I don't know what it is about him as an NPC, but I have hated him since day one. Yeah, like, the second you saw that yeah, slimy like, oh, guy, I am gonna just wreck this dude. But you know, on the subject of taking pleasure in character death, I'll be honest with you—I've taken a little bit of pleasure in killing player t- players, killing characters for doing stupid things. Yeah, I really have. I mean, there's. And then maybe that maybe that's a bad attitude to have, but you, you will get these people that, that tend to tend to make characters and sometimes they, they'll have that level of toxicity where they're really trying to get you as the GM. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, I know. What
1: and mean. they're
0: constantly doing things to test that limit. And you're constantly like, you know, that's really dumb. You shouldn't be doing that. And eventually when when the game finally when the dice finally roll around to getting them for the stupidity. I'm not gonna lie. I've taken a little, little bit, little bit of enjoyment in
1: that. It's kind of a, it's not. It's 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 dipping a toe into adversarial gming. But you're mm. saying that they started it.
0: Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying is that that that, that you know, when you have a campaign and you're consistently, you got you. It's usually only one player in the group is just consistently doing obviously stupid and incredibly dangerous things over and over and over again. And I, I think that, that a lot of times it's it's maybe because the the player thinks that that that, that you're
1: going to keep hand waving it,
0: right? You know and what then, I mean? And like so, this like is that. their reminder
1: that yeah, hey, like, this world can get your character. Well,
0: you know, it's, it, it's like I said, you know, when when I've got a, a a hero campaign, I am generally speaking trying to avoid killing the characters until a moment of good drama. Yeah, you know, it's like nobody wants to see. I mean, well, I guess Game of Thrones did it successfully, it just unceremoniously killing off everybody's favorite characters constantly. But oh yeah, but that's—I don't think that's great for most good hero tales. But then sometimes you'll get a player that—that that I guess—and I, I, again, I don't—I don't know if this is their mentality going in or not.
1: I will say that a lot of characters in Game of Thrones had a dramatic death. Oh, the Red Wedding was literally a ceremony. That yeah, was a huge, you know? huge dramatic affair. <laughs> it was literally a ceremony. Yeah. Um, But no, I'm picking up what you're putting down, more or less.
0: You know, so I mean, I I guess in that scenario, if you're a player and you've noticed that your GM is generously not killing you, don't taunt them. Don't, don't, don't give them a reason to, because I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, no, I don't want to kill off my characters, my player characters, uh, unless there's a good dramatic reason. And then you picking up on that and saying okay cool that I'm going to do all of the most incredibly stupid things that I possibly can because this guy's not going to take me out unless it's dramatic. Well until the patience wears thin.
1: We can talk about uh, the guy who asked the question today uh, you guys knew you had the knowledge that this goop that you drink has a one in six chance of killing your character Uh-huh. and he drank the goop and he rolled a six. So that's a really good
0: example of exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. You knew that it could kill you. You knew it had a chance. And while as a GM, I would typically not want to kill a character in that scenario. Let's put it this way. You know, I mean, my player in this or my character in this scenario was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, You, you shouldn't do that. That's a bad idea. I'm going to do it. And then, was, was he just salty because, like, the healer wouldn't heal him right before we were going to take a rest?
1: I think so. I
0: think that was it. He, he wanted hit points back right before he would have gotten all of his hit points back.
1: In his, to play devil's adv- advocate, in his defense, what if you guys got attacked in the middle of the night? Right? I, I mean... But, well, you but... <laughs> were about to take a long rest, but what if it was Interrupted. Okay, but one in six chance of dying from the goop. So maybe maybe I mean, not worth it. <laughs> maybe not worth it. I'm just
0: saying. It's it's not like we were talking percentile dice with a 1% chance of death. We're talking one in six. Yeah. That's the rough, six on a D6. Rough
1: business. All right. So in summary, uh, you, you have to handle character death delicately and mm-hmm. with tact. <laughs> yeah. It's, again, it's just a, such,
0: a, such a complicated issue because it's one of those things where it depends on the game. It does. I mean, I don't... Of course wa- it
1: depends. Of course it depends.
0: Yeah, it's... I don't want you to hand wave something like death for my character in Call of Cthulhu. Because you, if there's... It's a horror game. It's a horror game. If You I, have
1: ten hit points. Yeah. That's never going away. No, and, and, and I have to go...
0: Like, for me to really enjoy that game, I have to go in there knowing that I am playing a character in a world that is dangerous and that there are dangerous things there that will kill me. If I think Ah Cody's only going to kill me if it's dramatic, then any any scene that's not inherently dramatic, I'm like Ah I'm, I'm going to walk away from this no matter what happens.
1: No, that's that's going to ruin the tension of a game like that. Yeah, but in the words of my uh, friend Tim, if I shoot you, you die. <laughs> If your if your ten hit point character gets yeah. shot with a with a rifle that does forty eight, there's a solid chance bad things are happening. Oh yeah, I mean my character's pistol can kill somebody in one shot. Call of Cthulhu doesn't mess around.
0: No, they they do <laughs> not. It's it is it is a game for role playing, not for combat. And if you're in combat, your chances
1: are real bad. <laughs> oh yes. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode uh thank you for joining us at the game master speakeasy hopefully you've enjoyed your beverage served by marcus today uh if you want to hear more of us yo it's it's fantastic the zombie awakening is it's i honestly like the chocolate ale more but this is also pretty good um if you want to hear more of us you can find us on many places where you listen to podcasts this is a this is like episode 15 or something, though. So if you've missed 14 episodes, that's that's pretty impressive. But you can find <laughs> us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. If you want to listen or get in touch with the sister shows, by the Record Button production group. They are also available on there. Wasteland Active Radio, which is a fallout theme podcast. And Why Did I Write This?, which is a, uh, a, v- a very funny podcast about old fan fictions that the hosts have written. <laughs> Uh, our social media can you can find us on well the record button production group can be found on facebook instagram tiktok twitter and youtube but if you want to email us specifically with questions comments concerns maybe things you want to hear us talk about you can email us at gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com Once again, that is gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com, where today we have answered an email, and we have done so before, and we hope to do so more in the future. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully you've enjoyed your time at the ever-burning hearth, and you will get home safe tonight. Have a wonderful day. See ya!